My greatest fear is not Paul's death. Paul lived a long, storied life before he was ready to marry me. He's a sailor, after all, captain of his own vessel. What if he's alive? He could be living in Nova Scotia, Ireland, Spain, the Caribbean. He could be living in the lap of a young lady. Or, even yet, surrounded by promiscuous working women with legs open, hearts closed, and palms outstretched for a dollar. Those were the women Paul had been with since he was a young man. Never made it a habit, or so he said. Just enough to scratch an itch. Engagement with the opposite sex was of the polite transactional nature. All of that changed with me. I often wondered if I was too much for him. Too much imagination, too much energy, too much need. He said I was like the ocean. I've long been married to the sea. Since you're one and the same, I can marry you. <laughs> How am I like the sea? Oh, perfect. I can finally recite my Nora is like the sea speech. Steal yourself. It would make Lord Byron blush. Paul read on ships. A polarizing choice in time-wasting activities, since half of any given crew was illiterate. Nora has big blue eyes that transform like the tide. They are at one moment sweet and charming, and they catch me in a riptide, awakening the most animalistic parts of me. I am compelled to dive into those eyes. Then his rough hands cup my jawline. He gently grazes his thumbs over my forehead. I instinctively close my eyes and can feel the gracious pressure of his fingertips paint my eyelids. His thumbs trace the outline of my lips. I've been with him several times by now, but every time feels like the first. She has lips I would walk across nails to kiss. A smile that takes my breath away. And her body... Every part of it has me vibrating when I picture it in my mind's eye, let alone stand in its presence. A strong, feminine body, soft and sturdy. Sounds more like a ship. Hush, woman. Let me finish. Nora is like the sea, for her spirit is hard to explain in quantifiable terms. She will do something innocuous and I'm swooning. Sea legs on land. And when she unleashes her sensual nature... Shh. Oh, Nora, no one can hear us but animals and mermaids, and let them be jealous of what you offer the world. When you lay there naked in front of me, my response isn't mental. It isn't tied to a sense of duty. My entire being, my soul, responds. You siren, you call me, lure me, invite me. You are a singular woman. No one should rival the sea, and yet I kneel before the one who can. Women have always been anchors, nets, or ports. No one has felt like that beautiful combination of home and freedom the way the ocean does. But you, you are home. You are my freedom. You are the sea. He took me to his cabin. He had me as often as I could offer. Some days, even with Paul's love, felt impossible. Sometimes it was the lighthouse work, but most days I was overwhelmed by my father's behavior, 
exhausted from managing his chaos all day. Nora! Nora! I need you! God damn it, where are my slickers? Dad, it's not raining out. We're not talking about the damn weather. I want my slickers. Where are my slickers? You don't need them, Dad. Don't tell me what to do, you useless whore. He lunges at me. I dodge. He falls face first on our wood floor. Two inches more and his head would have met with our cast iron stove. For many years, his behavior from the bottle was as predictable as my lighthouse work. Mornings he was sickly hungover, mid-afternoons pleasantly drunk, nights were either dead drunk or violently so. I avoided him at night. Always. But now, lately, everything is chaotic, unpredictable. Oh, Jesus! Oh, Jesus, help me! Come on, Dad, take my hand. I've got you. Leave me be, you hag! don't need a mother. His face is full of blood and snot and drool. I untie my apron and throw it on the table. Your slickers are with the rest of our coats, Dad. I leave my breakfast untouched as I storm out of the kitchen. You think I'm so feeble that I haven't looked in the goddamn closet? Is that what you think, Nora? Wait. Where are you going? Don't leave me. The ending of the morning catch would often coincide with my arrival to the docks. I'd show up on Paul's ship, shaken and holding back tears. His workers would pass me on the pier. Paul was a fair employer, so I never caught any lewd comments on my way to his ship. On days like this, Paul would have me lay down on his cabin's cot. He'd lug bundles of rope from the decks and drape them on me. Makeshift hydro pressure. My body would relax under the weight. Breathe, Nora. I would struggle to take in a full breath, feeling suffocated. Paul would place his hand on the rope bundle resting on my abdomen. In your belly, Nora. Not from the heart, but from your guts. Breathe deep. I would breathe as he instructed, feeling my sides and back and ribs expand. I'd look into his golden green eyes, encouraging and patient. Often I'd cry. He'd remove the ropes, a bundle at a time. As the weight would lift, I'd cry harder. The absence of the pressure would feel like I was floating, aimless and vulnerable to the smallest of gusts. Please, please, Paul, lay on me. Don't let me go. He'd lay his broad physique over mine like a shadow. I was so small under him. Paul was very tall and over 200 pounds, muscles seized into place from years of labor. The first time he laid himself over me, he was nervous about hurting me. I don't want to crush you. No, it's good. So he rests his body onto mine his right arm under the small of my back and the other draped under my shoulder, the left hand stroking my hair, his mouth placed above my ear. Do you know what Anamkara is? No. It comes from our ancestral land. It's a Celtic belief from St. Bridget. Anamkara is a soul love, someone who sees our true selves and inspires us to grow spiritually, not through the signs of the cross, but doing our very best, aiming 
to be our highest selves. That's beautiful. That's what you are to me, Nora. You're my Anamkara. After that first time, Paul knew I could handle anything he offered. He understood my resilience was as physical as it was mental. My head would nestle between his chest and collarbone, and I'd curl under his body like a pearl inside an oyster. I've got you, sweet girl. I don't want to take care of anyone. You don't have to. I'm going to take care of you. Forever. But perhaps I was too much like the ocean. Unpredictable in moods, relentless. Paul can come and go from the sea despite its call, but I could not be left alone. Perhaps when he saw a lifetime of being my anchor, he was exhausted by the prospect. Having an Anamkara may have proved too much for him. He'd find a younger woman, a simple, needless girl who would worship him in just the right way. A business at Cape Hatteras will take just over a month. I'll be back before you know it. In my greatest fears, Paul isn't dead. He left me. He sailed towards the sirens to an easier life. In my greatest fears, Paul was never my Anamkara, but a lonely sailor who wanted to feel like God. When I first met Paul, I was 12. He was 18, a hired hand on one of John Kerr's crabbing vessels. Lampy had brought him up to the lighthouse to help with the whitewashing. Paul didn't take much notice of me. It would be years before we'd connect in any intimate way. But at my mother's insistence, I served him lemonade after his work was complete. As he gulped down his first glass, Paul absentmindedly hummed a tune I'd never heard before. I asked him what it was. It's a sailor song. Go on, then. Don't be shy in my account. Paul smiled, those deep-set eyes crinkling for the first time in front of me, its green and gold sparking in the mid-afternoon sun. Yeah.